how do you make people feel, even if it's not necessarily the best player or someone who's going to win you games or whatever that might be, like you've got to make them feel like they're part of the environment if they're putting in the work. How do people at the top of the game do what they do? And what can young players learn from them to help them on their own journey and help them achieve their dreams in the game? That's the question and this podcast will give you the answers. Welcome to today's episode of the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylette, former Irish age grade international, now mindset and performance coach. And if you have not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast episode. And if you're out there and you love this podcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. That really helps because the more positive ratings and reviews we get, the more the different platforms say, hey, this podcast is helping people, people are enjoying it, maybe we should show it to people who have never heard of it before. And that way the podcast grows organically. Also, you can send the podcast on some friends and I would greatly appreciate that. Hey, hope you're keeping well. Those of you who follow me on social media will have seen that I have my first book coming out next Wednesday, October 26th. Pretty excited about that. And it's titled The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player. And why this book came about is pretty much the same why I do this podcast or why I put content out on Instagram, TikTok is because when I was a young, ambitious player, I had little to no support with the mental side of the game. It's just the way it was, and to be honest, I think for the most part it's just the way it is still. So I'm on a mission to help young players with the mental side of the game, and I'm really happy with how this book has come out. It covers how you overcome setbacks, how you develop your confidence and your self-belief, how you deal with nerves, how you get in certain pathway systems, how you progress through ranks, and all just all aspects of the mental side of the game. It's kind of like a how-to guide as well, like how to deal with these things that you go through. And it's exactly what I needed when I was younger. It's written in clear, simple language, and if you are a young player, you will love it. Between now and when I launch next Wednesday, I'm giving people a free digital version of the book in exchange for leaving a review on Amazon and Goodreads when I launch. So if you would like to get a free copy, DM me your email and your phone number and you can contact me on Instagram or Twitter. Those are at offfieldrugby. My LinkedIn is my name, Brian Moylette, and you can also send me an email which is offfieldrugby at gmail.com. So yeah, get in touch with me and send me those and I will send you across a digital copy of the book. So today's chat is with Craig Wilson, who is the current director of rugby at Yale University in the States. And he is also the man behind the contact coach on Instagram. On the contact coach page, he makes great clips highlight plays and breaks down different things explaining them. When Greg was younger he spent time in the Northampton Saints and Leicester Tigers academies 
and we chat about his different experiences in the two. We also chat about culture, leadership and coach development. Craig now also does some work with Rugby New York's academy, that's the MLR side. He chats about that and the influence that All Black World Cup winner Andy Ellis had on the group. There's that and lots more. So here's episode number 65 with Craig Wilson. Dealing with money can be very stressful and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website, sparkswealth.ie. Recently, a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple, easy to understand way, no jargon, and it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. So now you're into the season games every week with Yale. Uh, absolutely yeah so it's a busy it's a great time but it's a busy time um so what what happens the boys usually come back mid mid august mid to late august and then we play all the way through through november and depending on how deep you go into playoffs uh could go into december but rugby rugby shuts down quickly around january because up here in new england it gets a little bit a little bit frosty over the winter and then we'll pick it up again in kind of they, they arrive back in February and then into it for March and April so it's kind of it's unlike back home in in Europe it's it's peaks and troughs when you're on you're on and when you're off it goes a little bit quiet then you you pick it up again so it's it's an interesting dynamic very different to the kind of regular week 20 30 weeks back in the back over in Europe yeah and how have you found coaching in yet I mate, I first of all I love it. All right. First of all, it is you're just working with people who want to learn. And that's so Yale being one of the like legitimate elite uh, education universities around the world. You've got Yale, you've got Harvard, you've got Oxford, Cambridge, like all these, these names are big, obviously, with academics. And that allows a coaching environment to be so rich because you've got people who want to learn. And they've got people who ask questions. You've got people who want rationale, who want to understand what's going on, which is really good and challenging as a coach as well. Because when you throw in that they are on the whole brand new rugby players. So you are very much starting with run forward, pass backwards, and you're trying to get all the nuances in. And these people just want to understand instantly. And sometimes I have to tell them to, <laughs> to relax a little bit, like don't sweat the small stuff. But I think that makes a really um rich rich rugby and particularly coaching environment um which I, I i just love it and they're great great people to work with and yeah very enjoyable yeah it's interesting to say that i found that as well i um was back in ireland I was coaching like under 15 17s club and not to say they didn't want to learn or they weren't eager but when i went to the states to linden what i was coaching like men's club team and just all American guys who had varying levels of knowledge on it. That's what I found. They're just so attentive and they just yes. wanted to learn so much. And what I actually find interesting, sometimes like in, in America, particularly with football guys, coach is king. 
right? Uh, which I found really interesting because my the whole philosophy and kind of how I've been brought up to coach is trying to make the players as as autonomous as possible. So you want them to make decisions. And with that becomes there's errors and there's mistakes. And I found that really interesting when sometimes they're looking at me like, give me the answer immediately. And sometimes I've got to pull myself back and go, well, what's in your long-term benefit to learn in the game is not give me giving you the answer now. And I have to check myself sometimes as well. Like, no, like that's that, let them figure it out, you know? And that was a really interesting uh, kind of coaching dynamic where they're just like, just tell me, <laughs> just tell me what you like, what you want me to do. I'm like, oh, it doesn't quite work out that way. Um, and I, so that's been a fun, fun challenge to overcome. Yeah, no, and it's interesting. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, it can be tell, but a lot of the times, like you said, they got you got to learn by doing. And yeah, it's just interesting the different, how different people want different things. And I found those right. Yeah, the coaches can't even being called coach. I was like, geez, yeah. stop, stop. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't do It's so that. funny because at first, I think that's just our kind of our European kind of way of thinking about it. Like, oh, stop is a bit awkward. But the more I, the more I kind of thought about it, it's a sign of respect, you know, which is mm. really, really cool. And why shouldn't our profession be respected? You know, like you're you're dealing with multiple, multiple human beings from multiple backgrounds you know you've actually got more than just a transactional x and o and i think coaches a lot more revered over here than it is um particularly elsewhere and i once i come around to that i was like no well, this is this is a cool job you know it, it could and should be respected if you do it right um so i'm kind of over it now i haven't got quite i haven't got a coach written on my back quite yet but um now when they when they talk to me it's it's pretty it's pretty cool yeah, 100%. It is absolutely respect. And how did you get into coaching? Um, so I, st I started playing at five, at, um, my local rugby club in England, a little little village town team called Oakham. Started playing there. Um, I had way too much, way too much energy for my mom. So she sent me, she sent me to any sport she could. Uh, so I played, I played through there, got myself into academies such as Leicester Tigers and Northampton State. So I was always on the periphery. Of, of pretty good coaching and then it was about 20 I've kind of fast forward a few steps here but it was around 20 when I was playing up in up in the premiership in Scotland for a team called Heritage, where I realized I'm an all right player but I'm probably not going to go to that next level but I always knew like I was thought about the game and then maybe my skill set or my um, my ability wasn't going to take me to that next level but I was always in and around decent players and decent coaching environments. And I thought, oh, hang on, like, even though my, my career might not be playing rugby, I could certainly work towards coaching rugby. And I remember there I was coaching like under sixes, under sevens, under eights. And I always, I don't know where it came from, but it was always the wisest move I now know I made was, I, I look at coaching as like, you're in an internship in JP Morgan and you're making the coffees for the, the big dogs, right? Like coaching is time in the saddle. So I was like, the more I can coach these, the, the younger people, I'm just working on that experience. I'm just how to manage a group essentially. Um, and I tell you what, on some Sunday mornings, I used to drag myself out of bed. You know, I had many, many other things I probably wanted to be doing at that stage i.e nothing after a, after usually a saturday night out but i knew this was my my grounding and then i went to um 
I did my level one with the Scottish Rugby Union at Curry Rugby Club. And that just kind of helped formalize it somewhat. Um, and then just for sheer luck, my girlfriend at the time, she was at Edinburgh University and she was moving to Hong Kong to do nine months teaching out there. And I knew a good thing when I had it and I wanted, I wanted to follow her. So I literally cold called the rugby union, cold called the Hong Kong rugby union, went, look, I'm a young coach. Um, I just I just really want an opportunity. Please, like, if, is there anything out there? And I, I got an email back from a guy called Robbie McRobbie, who's turned out to be a very, very influential man in my in my career, as it were. But I thought it was a spoof, you know, because I told my mate, someone called Robbie McRobbie, I'm like, they're having yeah. a laugh. <laughs> I'm like, someone's having a laugh with me. I told my mates, they sent me an email. So I was a bit coy on my uh, um, cautious when I, I emailed back. But it turned out there was a rugby club over there called Nomads. And they were Division 4 Hong Kong. Now, that's pretty low. It's pretty low. But what it was, they were looking to climb up the leagues. And the rugby union wanted another team to start climbing up the leagues. And they didn't have the funds to bring in this an established coach. So I was like, look, I can utilize my playing. I can I can coach the team, um, and the only way was up, right? And it was just learning from those those experience. So I just went absolutely. I remember they helped me get out there and just you know pocket money sort of thing. But it was an opportunity, uh, and then that's when it really started to take off. When I go when I got over to Hong Kong, um, the the resources and the support that the rugby union had and gave me was just fundamental, and that. That allowed me to coach professionally, essentially, or full time is probably a better word, whilst having no pressures of results, you know, which was a really, really lucky, lucky thing at the time. And I had some brilliant mentors like Lee Jones, who's with um, who's with Leicester Tigers now. You've got Di Reese, who's back over at the Dragons. You've got Craig Hammond, who's with Nottingham. You've got Andy Hall, who's coaching at Upper and like All these guys were so influential in my coaching career. Um and it just kind of kept snowballing and snowballing from there. And uh, it just, yeah, it just kept going. But it kind of long story short, it was all to do with knowing that I wanted my life to be in rugby, but I knew it wasn't going to be playing. Cool. Lots there. And uh, what was your experience like in the academies as a player? And I was actually thinking about this not, not so long ago. Um Leicester was interesting, like because Leicester at the time as well, particularly early 2000s, like they were the team. And I always felt I didn't quite belong. It was quite it was quite a cliquey environment, however, very successful. Right. So I think if you were in, you were in. Right. And I always felt I was never quite in there. Um, and then it came to cuts. I got cut around 16 and went over to Northampton which I found was a completely different environment. It was really welcoming, really, really enjoyable. And it was a nice tonic from what I experienced at Leicester. Not to say the coaching wasn't great, but it just felt a lot more transactional. You know, it was a lot more, if if you weren't the best, you weren't really that looked after. But again, brilliant, brilliant um, kind of IQ over there. Northampton just felt a little bit more family-like. I felt a lot more comfortable playing. I felt a bit more like myself and I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and I stayed there pretty much through to, to 18. Didn't quite get the, the full senior contract from there, but again, it was a great experience. Um, and it really, really helped, um, 
enjoy enjoy my rugby and I think I kind of took that with me as well as a coach like how how do you make people feel even if it's not necessarily the best player or someone who's going to win you games or whatever that might be like you've got to make them feel like they're part of the environment if they're putting in the work you know that that's that's pretty key as well um so I think the academy's exposure to rugby was great and I I wouldn't I wouldn't go back on, on what I did, but I think learning from those environments and it's only upon reflection of those recently that I could probably articulate it a bit better than I could certainly at the time. Cool. And would you do anything differently looking back as, as a player? Yeah. See, I, again, like I, I don't think it's even strong of, of having no regrets because I, I kind of fast forward now, a lot of my friends, who did make it pro are finishing around 36 now are finishing um, around now, maybe coming out with injuries or whatever it might be. And they're just starting their coaching career. Well, now I've got 15 years already kind of in the bank. So I, I don't think I truly had the desire to be a professional rugby player. I think I maybe wanted, I would have liked it, but I don't think I really had that real, Mm. And maybe, maybe I feel I couldn't make it. Maybe that was part of it, but I wouldn't look, I wouldn't look back with any regrets because I got to play a good level in Scotland, made some great, great people while playing good rugby, but also enjoying yourself as well. Uh, particularly Harriet's rugby club. It was a, it was a high performing team, but it was also pretty high performing off field as well. You know, like it was really good, good bunch of guys. And then it allowed me to go over and then play in Hong Kong. And now to just immerse yourself in a, a completely different city, a great, great rugby environment where you're mixing with top end CEOs, local Chinese, you've got teachers, you've got back. And I just really, really loved that seven years of my life. And I don't think I would have got that as a pro rugby player. I wouldn't have had that experience. I might've had different ones and it's all who knows, but no, I, I wouldn't look back on it because it allowed me to start coaching and coaching is what I really, really love doing. And it allowed me to do that at 20 years of age and pursue it. So I kind of feel I got the best of both worlds. I got good exposure. I was in and around good programs and good people and good players. But my my disposition wasn't all about winning on the weekend. You know, it wasn't, or am I going to get a contract or where am I next? You look at players like in Worcester now, you know, it's like, wow, like that that's quite jarring um so yeah long story short I, no i wouldn't you know good stuff and what is it like in hong kong or the rugby environment there because i've heard quite a bit i lived when i was in Lindwood. i lived with a guy a south african from hong kong where you know went there when he was six and he told me a little bit and now i coach a girl who plays canada sevens and grew up in hong kong and then moved over to vancouver and uh there's good rugby players there. Seriously good. And a lot of it's due for Hong Kong Sevens, right? The Hong Kong Sevens is the bankroller of the whole rugby union. Now, you can see the jeopardy that that has with the Hong Kong Sevens being not on for the last four or five years or three three or four years. That's had a major impact on, on Hong Kong rugby. So they've had to lose their pro team. They've lost a lot, a lot of coaches because they couldn't support the environment they were creating. So it was this kind of weird juxtaposition of high performance rugby with a tier three, quote, quote, quote unquote, tier three nation of rugby. You know, it was really interesting. And from a coaching point of view, 
it was incredible. Like I mentioned a few of the guys I was rubbing shoulders with. You got Joe Shaw, who's now the head coach of Saracens, who's been there throughout their success. He was like a close, close friend and mentor of mine. You've got you've got such a melting pot of Australian, of New Zealand, of European players in that environment. So that's really pretty cool as well. Um, and then you've got the mini section, which is just incredible, particularly the girls section as well. Like the the mini rugby or youth rugby out there is just it's world class because um, it's well funded, it's well supported. There's there's proper pathways in place, and it it is such a vibrant, vibrant environment. I have no doubt. Once the sevens are back on, it's going to really, really start picking up again. But I I owe a lot almost everything to my coaching is to do with what what Hong Kong gave me for sure good stuff and pro team so there's a fully professional team in Hong Kong or is that there like was so their, yeah so their national team unfortunately it's just been disbanded their national team went pro and don't quote me on the exact dates but it was all in preparation for the World Cup in, in Japan. And unfortunately, they lost out in the repercharge. charge. I think they got beat by Canada, I believe. Um, and they, they lost out. And I know they're going to the repercharge charge again, again this year, but they're going as part-timers. So they really, really went hard for the to get into the World Cup, particularly with Japan being guaranteed a place now. So there's an opportunity for the second uh, Asian team. Uh, along with that, we, we haven't even mentioned the Sevens. They have a pretty vibrant Sevens team out there. And that's slightly different because that's through the Sports Institute. So that's Olympic funding through the government. Um, but yeah, they had a pro team. And then they ha- also had a team which is just, just disbanded. The whole league did. Um, it was called the Asia Pacific um, Tigers, I believe. And they played in the Australian League. I don't know if you... It was very, very brief. Um and I think it's when Western Force was looking for extra opportunity mm. before they got they got brought back into the Super Rugby fold. Um, so there's there's always been um, a real want for for pro rugby in in Hong Kong, and unfortunately, COVID just completely completely wiped that out. Um, just as it was really getting going. Yeah, and lastly, Anna, but um, there is opportunities for say foreign players to go and play in Hong Kong and you know pro rugby there's different levels to it but like to get looked after a little bit or like it's a there is a vibrant like top league there oh, like club. oh yeah yeah there's some very good teams so there's a good friend of mine Stephen Dowse he's the director of Hong Kong Football Club now their facilities are envious worldwide you're like you're right in the middle in the middle of a racetrack you've got uh Valley which is a very very strong New Zealand connection so they're they're always pretty strong I was involved with Hong Kong Scottish, which has got obviously got a Scottish feel. Um, and and you just you even just look at the national team. I was lucky enough to get capped with the national team while I was out there. And it's just such a great, um, great kind of what Hong Kong is, the multicultural environment. And that very much reflects in rugby. And and to be out in Hong Kong, um, I believe now you need you need a work visa. So it's not just playing rugby out there you you will need to work in a different environment or in banking so it's also great for people who want to play top rugby whilst build a career it doesn't have to be one or the other and i think that's what's pretty special about it because you get you get really ambitious people in both both sides of the coin the rugby coin and the also working coin Mm. how did you find your way over to america then 
Oh, all chance, honestly. Uh, so my my wife is from, so my girlfriend at the time has now turned into my wife. She's American. And we we always thought that America is where we wanted to go. I also had, from a pretty young age, a real desire to coach on a collegiate campus. Like there was just something very, I just pictured, uh, you know, the big ca- the American campus, everyone walking around. It's probably from all those high school movies, you know, but I was like, I want to, I want to be there. I want to coach there. And it was a complete chance. Um, I just heard a conversation from a couple of my mates working in the rugby union at the time. They were like, oh, this guy from from Yale University has been in. He was asking about developing their rugby program. And I knew enough that Yale was a very, very, very strong brand name worldwide. So I was like, hang on a minute. So I asked them, I just, I was like, what are you on about? And he goes, yeah, this guy, we're looking to develop their program. Didn't know much about it. So I, I got in touch with my boss, Lee Jones at the time. And I went, Lee, I was like, tell me more, connect me with this guy. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll connect you. And it was a, it was a gentleman called Philip Lynch. He's a Yale, um, he's a Yale alum but living in hong kong now um involved with the hong kong rugby out there and but like he's he's in a different sector uh but he was a the chairman of the yale rugby board and what happened so kind of jumping a few steps there's a couple of teams out here in the ivy league particularly dartmouth and brown who elevated their rugby program via support through financial support brown uh probably Dartmouth was maybe 15 years ago. Brown was maybe 10 years ago and, and Yale wanted to jump on that bandwagon as well. And to get a, um, and to get a, a full-time coach essentially. So I got in touch through Lee. He put me in touch with Philip. Uh, we met for a coffee and it kind of just snowballed from there. They told me the program, they were looking to take it full time. I was like, look, I'm definitely interested. Uh, and I remember it all moved pretty fast. I got I got invited out to, they were having an alumni event in the spring of 2014. Um, went out, met everyone. It was like a long interview, essentially. But like with, we played golf, they played rugby. We, it was just like pretty immersive. Um, a few weeks later, once I got home, they gave me a ring going, look, Craig, thanks. Loved what you're about, but we're just looking for someone with a bit more experience. And I was like, oh, look, no worries. I really, really appreciated the experience. Uh, thank you. Um, and what what they did, they rang me up. So they gave it to um, a different person called Greg McWilliams. And Greg is back. He was with Yale, worked with USA, but now he's back in Ireland, actually coaching the Irish women's team. So Greg, Greg got the role. Um, I, I obviously didn't know at the time, but the the board rang me up going, look, would you be interested in coming out? We want to do the same with the women's program than we did with the men. And I was like, absolutely, because I really wanted to get out to the to, to the US and work here. And again, it was all much like moving to Hong Kong. It was all for opportunity. And uh, and the opportunity came up to come over to Yale. And, and fast forward, I was, I was head coach with Yale women since... Oh, so it would have been 2015 I came out. I was with them for three years as head coach whilst assistant coach for men with Greg. And then as Greg left, over oversaw both programs. So now essentially director of both the men and the women. Um, so it kind of just morphed into to that role over the seven years. But it was all from, a, if I didn't hear that conversation in the office at that time, I, I certainly wouldn't be sitting here. I, I know it for a fact. That's pretty uh, cool. The sliding door moments are pretty cool. It is. It's very funny how things in life, um, you know, certain things happen. And then it's like, oh, now here I am. 
Ex- um, exactly. And like seven years later, it's like, wow. Um, but yeah, very, very grateful for that. Yeah, good stuff. And so are you, so you're director of rugby. What is it like day to day? Or so you're over both director of rugby of, of the both programs, we'll say. Yeah. And what then, how does that work coaching or what's what's it like? So oh, like overall, the, the broad spectrum is that I'm the head coach of the men's program. I direct of the whole program, head coach of the men, and help oversee the women's program. And we we brought in two excellent coaches for the Yale women's program. We've got Zanny Brown, who she was actually the captain when Harvard transitioned from club to varsity, which in America is a big, big distinction. She was she was very, very much part of that. And we're very lucky that she's doing a PhD at Yale now. And also we've got Nikki Campbell, who's a local uh, player and is going to be a such such a good coach uh, moving forward, who's who's come over to join Zanny. And we just felt it was really important that the women had women role models as coaching and coaching opportunities for women in the women's game. And Zanny and Nikki have been have been absolutely brilliant. So I, I kind of help oversee there. So I kind of do all the not so glamorous stuff like book the buses and make sure the referees are there, the floodlights turned on. So just really letting their coaches coach. And then on the men's side, I'm, I'm much more hands-on with the with the X's and O's. And likewise, I have I have some staff that work with me who who are massively influential to, to the program. So that's I'm out on the field pretty much Monday to Friday. Uh, the men are on the field Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The women are Tuesday, Thursday. We play Saturday. So in the fall uh, and in the spring, it's pretty, pretty intense on the field and just making sure the admin's done, you know, because uh, if the bus doesn't turn up, <laughs> it's not that ain't ideal. Right. So you can forget how good your game plan is if you can't get on the bus to the game. You know, so that's uh, that's really good for me and just making sure my admin skills are on point. Yeah. And are you involved with Rugby New York, I see? Yeah, so I, I've been involved with Rugby New York for coming into my uh, my third season now. So predominantly with the academy. So help, I work with Mike Petrie, and he's like a USA rugby legend. Three World Cups. He was a scrum half, a fantastic player, even better guy. Really, really, really good man. So I work, I work directly with him with the academy. Um, and I, I was lucky enough, again, all, all opportunity. I remember not the season just gone, but the one before um, where there was a bit of a coaching change at, um, at New York. And I, and I was around helping out with the academy. Um, and there, one of the coaches moved back to, to New Zealand for an opportunity. And it kind of left the head coach, Marty Veal, um, at the time in, in a bit of a just he was on his own. So again, I, I was I was hanging around and I was just coaching the academy and they were like, look, do you want to come and work with our senior team, uh, mainly looking after the non-starters or the bench, you know, to make sure the first team are getting really, really good reps. So towards the end of the uh, 2021 season, it would have been. I was fully immersed in in the first team. And again, it was like, it just went from right place, right time. And I remember they got to the conference finals, got beat on quite a um, bit of a rough call from, from a referee, as, as they always are when they get beat in a close game, right? Um, but that that experience with the, the senior team was just really, really great. You had people like 
Andy Ellis at nine, you know, the all black winning captain. And it wasn't uh, not captain, but World Cup winner uh, back in um, 11. It was not so much what they did on the field. It's how they conducted themselves off the field and the kind of leadership around that. So, again, just getting exposure in and around the New York environment, which is so unique um, and so interesting, was just really lucky. And then whilst working with the up and coming guys who are hopefully going to represent the the New York team in, in many years to come. So, yeah, very much involved with them and I love it. Nice. And what were the kind of things off the field that they were how they were carrying themselves. It's just culture. It all culture is such a, like a, a really big, big word and a big theme, but like, I loved how I narrowed down and I don't want to give too much away of what they're about, but it was all a, it was all about building the skyline, like using New York skyscrapers as real imagery of building, building something special because it was a new team. So theming was really interesting around how they themed and how like the the second team was called the blacksmiths you know and they were the guys forging the iron and and you were trying to build this really special thing uh, and the imagery was pretty powerful around that and i haven't really been exposed to too much imagery in seasons before that so that that was pretty neat um and also just how they they often use the word connection and I've taken that instantly to Yale. Like everything we do, we want to be connected. And that's not just in like, for example, line speed and defense. That's when we're off the field. That's when we're wearing the right gear. Are we talking to each other in the right way? Like, are we just connected? And that was such a powerful word. And, and they always brought it forward. You know, they always, they always celebrated if someone was really connected in whatever way they, they thought it might be. Um, and I just thought that was, that was really quite powerful and made me think a bit deeper than just the, just the rugby side of things, you know, it's like, cause you're actually on the field a lot less than you're off the field. So off the field, you should, you should be spending a lot of time practicing what you do off the field because that's, you spend most of your time in that, in that environment, you know, and that was, that was really interesting. Yeah, for sure. And what's the, pathway system like then you were saying you're working like quite a bit with the the young guys and so yeah what is it so I know there's the collegiate draft um for players in the MLR and then what's the landscape like for the academy right now it honestly depends on team to team and I think that that's the big thing globally I think USA is trying to figure out is is what is the pathway? Obviously, there's there's USA rugby um, like under twenties and under eighteens. But being honest, it's that's very much a pay to play model, you know. And I think that's quite inhibiting for a lot of the US population. And if we're going to tap into the true athletes, what we always hear about out here, like money is a factor. And right now, if you can't afford to be in a, a USA national camp in California and you're from the West East coast, you ain't going to get seen, you know, and you're not, you're not going to get those opportunities. So I think that, I think that's a million dollar question. Like what is the pathway? I think within New York, particularly in our area, it's all about trying to find those true tri-state Connecticut, New Jersey, New York players and making that an environment that they can be exposed to good coaching and good rugby and New York rugby's way of playing as early as possible. And we're still trying to figure out the best time for that because you don't want to get in the way of the colleges. 
because the colleges have such an important time to they've got more time with the players than an academy ever will because it's they're in college um and i think that needs to be celebrated and then in the summer months for example or the non-college months that's when the academy can really kind of pick up and it can be more similar to college it can be more peaks and troughs like right summer we're getting after it for six weeks as an academy um and then hopefully we unearth those those new players but it is it is the big question you know if you talk to someone down um in houston i just picked out a team there they might be doing something completely different um and i think there needs to be a bit more synergy around that around the pathways because it is the future all right and if you start getting the 14 to 16 year olds in the rugby environments um that's only going to help them in college and it's only going to help them into major league rugby yeah, hundred percent. And do you do a bit of traveling for that? Like, are, is that my geography area? Are you, are you yeah, a so no, there's there's a bit. So the East Coast teams tend to tend to hang out. So New York is is somewhat central. So we play DC, which is just three or four hours south. You've got Boston, which is four hours north. You've got Toronto, which is a little bit further, but in terms of US, it's not that fast. Maybe six, seven hours. You know, that's just a, a short bus journey for for the guys over here. So there is, um, they kind of play regionally, but I think there there's a wonderful opportunity that we could have more kind of festivals of rugby. So like for one weekend, all the academies come together in a in a location um, and play. And maybe it doesn't have to be your traditional 80 minute games. You know, it could be your 40 minute games or or whatever. But like create more festivals where it's over a weekend or a long weekend where most of the MLR teams come in and then they can go from there. And it become it can become a lot more than just. You can get scouts there, for example, from the teams. You can you can get um, just many opportunities around sponsorship or whatever it might be. I, I just think festivals could be the way forward because the sheer logistics of the U.S. is a nightmare. You know, you can't you, like New York can't play L.A. in Academy. Like you, you've got to get on a six hour flight. Um, that's just the start of it. Like, how do you get 30 people paying 500 bucks a flight? You haven't even started about the hotel. So money comes into it. So how do we create those opportunities? And yeah, um, maybe it's been discussed and maybe it's a pipe dream, but I think that's that's something what could be really, really cool. Um, but right now we try and play in DC um, and particularly Boston. Good stuff. Yeah, it's great to see stuff happening and yeah, those conversations happening. And how did you get started then with uh, the contact coach and the stuff you do online? Yeah, so that's all COVID-induced, right? So I've always been pretty big on, on analysis. I really like diving into a game. I've liked coding up a game. I liked just seeing the nuances of what's going on. And I used to create these little videos for, for Yale. Um, say, just for example, in and around the Six Nations, we're working on the Jackal. Uh, and I would like pull out videos of, of Jacqueline and what that is and create little videos, but keep them all all in house. Um, so I really I always like that part of a game. And I've also used video as a real accelerator in learning, particularly with US players who don't necessarily know the nuances of the game, um, just to kind of dive down and use video as as a as an extra coaching age with aid, which I think is is vital. Um, and then when COVID hit, I couldn't coach. Um, so it was like, right, I'm going to, I've got to keep my mind sharp. So I made these videos 
and I just I just stuck it out on YouTube. Uh, I just had a YouTube channel, like I think me and my mum followed me or something at that one point, you know. And I was like, look, I've got literally nothing to lose, right? I I made a video and it was so rudimentary. It was like cut up, uh, and then I was doing like circles with um, just the Mac software that I have, you know, and it was all pieced together. And I remember I did a tackling video. It was my first ever video. I did one analyzing Sam Underhill's tackling technique. And I think it was from the 2019 World Cup or fixtures in and around then. And I just I just put it out there. I, I literally put it out there um, and it caught a bit of traction. And it was like, oh, I like this. I like going on. So I did another one and I did another one and it kept growing. And then soon I did one on um, uh, on Aaron Smith and TJ Perinara, I believe, on their running lines, just their cheat lines as as nines. Uh, and that, that that flew to like a hundred thousand views on YouTube instantly. It was like, holy moly, this is like people like this, you know. And and I wasn't getting pelters in the comments going, "You're an idiot" or whatever. It was like, oh, thank you, you know, because social media could be can be pretty brutal. Um, so overall, the feedback was great, and I wasn't coaching. It was keeping my mind sharp. I was watching rugby. It was forcing me to analyze. It was forcing me to articulate. Um, and it all just went from there. And then an opportunity came up um with coach paint which coach paint is the if you look at my videos now is like all the animations you know like like you would see on monday night football bt sport or, or whatever it is uh, like proper proper um graphics and that just really highlighted and and elevated my um videos to to a whole new level um and my my big thing was just trying to keep uh, like rugby simplified like I use that quite a lot like rugby is pretty pretty complex but like how can we narrow the coaching point to something simple so some people can understand uh, and I can understand um, and that's where it all came about it was COVID induced and then just kept going from there so it was like all right next step is create a um, create an Instagram channel and then that that's blown up as well so that that's pretty pretty big and then what what it has done is just created so many networks and opportunities and and ways to just chat rugby with other people around the world and it's it's went much, so much further than I ever thought it was. I was just I was just putting it out there and I had no agenda, um, and no agenda apart from sharing sharing some videos and yeah and like here we are you know yeah it's cool very cool and yeah we probably wouldn't be chatting i don't know what we what we've bumped into each other who knows um, and, and that's it like opportunities like this and then I, I created my own little podcast for a while look and i was never married to like i was just playing around with different ideas i did i did a, my podcast and i try to keep it really unique it was only three minutes long you know like because it was rugby simplified you know like what's simple and i had like jace ryan on there and ian mcgeekin and Connor O'Shea and like all of a sudden through these videos I was allowed to connect allowed is the wrong word but like it gave me some kudos and some kind of social credit like to reach out to these guys and be like please please talk to me you know like because at the end of the day if no one if no one's listening to the podcast or no one's watching the videos like I'm learning you know I'm all I'm always learning I've got I've got nothing nothing to lose and that's always been my mentality when I got on the plane to Hong Kong I had nothing to lose, right? It was an opportunity. When I came over to Yale, I had nothing to lose because you can always go exactly back to where you started. Uh, this social media stuff and uh, like content in general, I've got nothing to lose. I've got everything to gain. And it's it's been it's been pretty cool and pretty powerful, actually. 
hundred percent. It's a brilliant point you make. And a lot of people get held back from doing a lot of things because just fear of failure or fear of like, um, just, just fear in general. But like you say, when you, you've nothing to lose, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you really don't. And I've seen that as well myself, just, um, like you can always go back to wherever you were <laughs> with and, anything. And exactly. Mate. And I'm sure, I'm sure on your, on your podcast as well, like I can only imagine the things you've learned, you know what I mean? Just, oh. just, just chatting with these guys, you know, and just, just, and also bigger picture, like how to be commitment to time, how to produce a video, how to produce content, you know, all it's all messaging. And then, and then for me as well, like, doing the videos and, and putting it out there. Okay. When's a good, when's a good time to put it out on social media. So you're learning about algorithms. You're learning about, okay, that video didn't do as well as the last one. Why? Maybe my messaging was off message or marketing for me is messaging. Messaging is coaching, you know? So it's all, it all comes, it all comes back. And these skills are so interrelatable. A hundred percent. It is uh, so interesting. Yeah. And it's all linked up as well. Yeah. I found so many things like, um, like that like learning how to even you say making videos and different things and like i'm not a tech person at all never was or you know but i'm learning like like how do you put out a podcast how do you put stuff on instagram content like i'm not you know that's not my forte never was but but it's very important because like i want to like i'm on a mission to help young players with the mental side of the game so like i have to learn how to make videos i have to learn how to make a podcast i have to learn and it helps my coach on the field too because yeah like you say with yours um your videos which are unreal that's how i saw you first and and enjoy them and uh but it's similar you know different stuff it's like you have to connect with people Mm -hmm. and and that's what coaching is like you said yeah and it's it, uh, it really is like the co- like my best coaching is done in a coffee shop, right? Like I, because that's where you get to meet and build rapport and build a relationship and and get to know the people you're working with, you, you know. And that's when you're like, right, you're learning about them, you're learning about where they came from, you're learning like why they're here and what their motivations are, and and like and also you can get ahead of something's not going well like right oh they've had really rough academics this this semester like how's your academics how's it going are you on top of it why don't you take this session off like and sometimes you find like less is more and like the stronger relationship i have and i use the i use the coffee shop as a kind of good analogy it is true my my caffeine intake has went through the roof over over here but um it's it's what you connect how you connect with the individual allows you to then coach coach the individual and then coach the player um because you can connect on a much deeper level and there's a lot more trust and that has been really powerful for me as well just getting to know the players better and then getting to know me um i think that's that's pretty key as well a hundred percent yeah so so important and i saw as well you did a was it a master's in Harvard on leadership or principles of leadership? Not quite. I, I, I did my master's. I did my performance coaching master's through Sterling University. Not quite Harvard. Um, but it's, it was pretty cool to have. And honestly, like the, the, the master's in performance coaching was so fundamental to, to how I coach now because I, I went this really weird route, right? So I went to classic. I, at, 
after college in the UK, after sixth form, I went to university and I went to university for all the wrong reasons. I went is because that's a path well trodden. I went there for a year. I got really, really, really good at FIFA and very, very, very bad at studying, right? Like I went for all the wrong reasons. Um, and if that was 04, and then so summer of 05, I went over to New Zealand to, to watch and follow the the British Lions tour. And I, I ended up staying out there and playing for nine months. And I didn't come home and I didn't finish my degree, um, which was really interesting. So that was kind of when I moved up to Scotland and started playing there. And so I, I didn't finish my undergraduate degree, but from that time to move into Hong Kong to 2014, so 08 is when I moved to Hong Kong, and then 14 is when I, I was finishing up my master's. Between that time, I managed to build up enough relevant coaching experience that at a level which was deemed applicable, that I could go straight onto a master's degree. Now, talk about lucking out, right? Like, I, I didn't have to do a three-year, four-year undergraduate. I could show my body of work um, from coaching. So that allowed me to go straight onto a master's degree. And I'm so thankful for that because I, then I got to study exactly what I wanted to study, really relevant to my career, with practical experience behind me, which I can now underpin with theoretical um, learning. You know, so I went straight on to a master's. So I've got a master's degree without an undergraduate degree. Like, like, how cool is that? You know, I think I'm a, I'm a very lucky man. Um, and that was and without that master's degree, I would never have got a visa for the US because you need to demonstrate that you 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 belong. You know, you can coach here what what a US person quote unquote, couldn't do, you know, that's part of the visa. Uh, so got the master's, uh, got into Yale, uh, coaching at Yale. And then from there, I did a leadership course through Harvard. And the leadership course was, um, again, through COVID, I wasn't doing much. Um, so I had time on my hands. And it was just a really wonderful opportunity, again, to, to maybe underpin some, some of the leadership stuff I've been doing. But like, underpin it with with theory um and that that was really cool because that wasn't sport related that was all environment related and that was essentially dialing down on your relationships and your communication and how and how you create an environment and it was just really cool because you're in with a lot of business leaders um and again it's not just because rugby can get quite small and like you always think about rugby so thinking outside the the box was pretty powerful so that was a really useful um course to do through certificate to do through harvard um but yeah it's not quite a harvard master's degree you know i can't i can't quite say that but in terms of the learning wow mate it was it's been very impactful on on my day-to-day -day coaching life and, and general communication yeah cool and so what kind of stuff did you learn in that um leadership course so a lot was about how how <clears throat> you create the environment and your role within it and uh and what type of leader you are so understanding who you are as a leader and what's your natural disposition are you naturally quite wound up or are you quite naturally relaxed are you quite naturally whatever it might be and just really kind of dialing down on a lot of self-reflection about what what your leadership style is and also what your your blind spots are okay and just being really really reflective on that so for me is just making sure if I start something 
I continue through with it. You know, like I'm really, really, I've got a lot of ideas and like being really dialing down, like, is this, is this going to continue, you know, or do I need someone along my side who can help elevate that idea? You know, so that comes down to your coaching staff as well. So I, I lean on them as well because I'm very big on collaboration. I like to talk things through. I like to hear him like, and I'm not, I know I'm not precious about feedback, which has been really quite cool, but I need to collaborate. So I'm not very good solo. You know what I mean? I, I need a lot of um, support in that sense. So that's in terms of my, my assistant coaches or coaching team, they support me in that, you know, and that could be a blind spot if I don't get ahead of it. You know, I could, uh, I could go down a, a different route. So it's just been really, really reflective of you, yourself, how that impacts others and the environment that you create and just being conscious of that and, and getting people around you to, to tell you what your blind spots are and, and uh, so you can all get better. Cool. Yeah, the self-awareness thing is so important and same for players too. Like, I know it, ha- it comes up quite a lot when I'm working with players. Um, on the mindset side of the game with say pre-match or how they need to be around a team environment and Mm -hmm. this is certainly something that I myself when I was younger you know I felt I needed to be very serious I felt I needed to be a certain way like act a certain way um, before we even got togged out like when we met for the team meeting I had to be a certain way and act a certain way and and that just wasn't that isn't really me you know I'm not I'm just more relaxed I'm a more relaxed person I'm chilled and laid back and but that takes a lot out of you as well it takes a lot of energy and yeah it's just as it is important to be have that self-awareness and yeah think of how you are yeah and just understanding like understanding what the the environment needs at the time and when it's time to be individual, when it's time to be right, you're connecting as a group now. And I, I always remember back in the day playing rugby, it was like everyone in a huddle, screen, you're all banging your feet and everyone yeah. going crazy. And it was a bit like yeah. that, that never meant a lot to me. You know what I mean? And then what was really weird when I when I was I was a captain of a lot of the teams. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I was a captain of a lot of the teams, and I saw senior people do that. So here's me in the middle, of, stamp. What do? I'm like, <laughs> it, it's so unauthentic now. I look back on it like it was just going through my and like. But on the other hand, I wasn't super chilled. But I kind of needed like yeah. a little. I don't know, like on the periphery of the aggression, but not with the guys who are just kind of mucking around, not mucking around, but relaxing. Um, But like now I'm like, so when my captains, like when we talk to the captain, we talk about why they are captain and that role within their, in the team and like essentially be yourself, you know, Uh, be, be authentic to what, to be you and to what the environment needs, you know, and, and it's all about as long as you're all on the same same page and you get to that same page, whatever point that might be. And that's so unique to an environment because what the team you're coaching right now is probably different to the team that I'm coaching. And it, it's allow, it's allowing the individuals to to be individuals. But there comes a time when you, you're connecting as a team and, you know, and that's that is the million dollar question. Like, How do you get that right on a weekly basis you know uh, because personalities change people weeks change you know like stresses change um so how do you keep things consistent um it, oh, I, I find it fascinating but um 
yeah i'm not big on the old uh stamping in a huddle anymore you know <laughs> yeah i literally i nearly laughing there <clears throat> i was remembering a, a coach that i had when i was younger under 20s and what we he used to have us do before the game is we all got into a huddle and then he went into the middle and started oh, screaming, screaming and shouting. And then he used to go around like, literally punch certain people, <laughs> like in the chest. Uh, always the big guy. Yeah. Probably the big and guy. Then and one like... day, one day a guy, because we'd all of our arms in a huddle, so we couldn't defend ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So like uh, you've your chest exposed, like you're in a huddle, and he go around like some the open hand like a lot of the time like hitting you and like yeah. you'd be trying not to catch eye contact with him <laughs> yeah you didn't, and, you didn't and want then, it. yeah and then one time a guy dropped his arms and kind of went through and <laughs> went back at him <laughs> before a game but oh my god it was oh, so it, funny it looking back brilliant isn't it and it was all that was all for the coach that wasn't for anyone else but for for the coach you know and uh no, I look back on it and I, I crack up now. You know what I mean? Like it was just stamping in the middle of a changing room. You got like, oh, it was just, I mean, good, good memories. But in terms of, in terms of sports performance, I doubt it did a lot. Um, you know, like it's now it's so it's, it's, it's a fascinating topic, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's funny. And it's something that is important as well. I learned it very early on years back coaching to, not or be aware of how you were coached and mm-hmm. um because what a lot of us do and probably everyone does when you start out coaching is you coach the way you were coached and Absolutely. that can be good or bad and mm-hmm. I certainly would have done things that weren't great and I've I think I've just taken the good things now because I have I'm lucky to have had yeah. some great coaches so the big thing I've I absolutely like I I remember I would do drills very much because one i remembered them or i was unprepared so i went on ropeydrills.com and like oh that looks fancy and like and, and then go and just do that and it had no rationale and no context mm. no rationale and context now i'm like so everything i do now and i've got uh I, I have a plan every session it's always planned very much in advance what's the context and how does it relate to to our style of play like that, that's so, so key. I always talk about context, context. And I'm mainly talking about that to remind myself, you know, like it's really important that for me, a player could see what they're doing in practice, whether it's drill or game, like, cause there's time and a place. Is there a key context to the game? And is there some rationale that this is why we're doing it? And I always got to ask myself that question. Is it contextual? Does it have rationale? Um, and that's been a really good kind of guide and light for me. And, and not, I can't always answer a million percent yes, but it's 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 certainly helped put sessions in the right direction. And and the players, we haven't got all the time in the world, you know, so we've got to use our time really wisely. Um, so that's been a big guide and light for me. Yeah, good stuff. Um, well, hey, Craig, been unreal chatting. Really enjoyed it. And best luck with the season ahead and all the different things you're doing. No, thank you. And uh, great, great work on, on what you're doing. Like, it's just, it's really cool. Cheers for clicking in as always. As I mentioned in the intro at the start of the podcast, the book on how you become a pro rugby player is coming out next week. It's my first book. Forward is by Robbie Henshaw, Leinster, Ireland, British and Irish Lions player. 
It's going to be out next Wednesday. And if you would like a free digital version of the book before then, please send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter, which is at offfieldrugby. My email is offfieldrugby at gmail.com. And my LinkedIn is my name, Brian Moylet. So just send me a DM and I will email you across the digital version of the book. And I just ask that in exchange for that, you leave a rating and a review on Amazon when I launch. And don't worry, I'll send you a reminder. I'll send you across the link next Wednesday. If you enjoy the podcast, please send it on some friends or send it into your team's WhatsApp group. That's unreal, really appreciated. And you can also, if you want to be an absolute legend, take 30 seconds to a minute and leave a rating and a review for the podcast wherever you listen so if you're on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts whatever just click in and yeah leave a rating and review would really really appreciate that it really helps other people find the podcast thanks mil for being here as always really appreciate you have a brilliant rest of your day